project is imagined as a series of four podcast episodes revolving around the subject of reality and its creation. It reflects on different realities that could exist in the future, our potential to have an impact on it, the virtual and the real, the magical and the scientific or pseudoscientific. The idea is to open up the subject of the prophetic potential of art, culture, writing, films, and everything we do as creators, and how this might be helpful once acknowledged and embraced. The series aims to explore the position of seeing contemporary art, not only as a reflection on the state of the world and its perception, but also as something that is able to predict the future. Of course, how literally we, or you, take this statement is up for discussion. Hello and thank you for joining me today. My name is Natalia Paunic and I'm talking to Jean Graff, a writer and a curator born in Lausanne, Switzerland, who um, lives in New York, even though Jean, you're no longer in New York, right? That's, uh, that's an old biography. I still live there. She's a columnist for yeah. May Review Paris, works in a vineyard and teaches at Head Art School in Geneva. Um, in 2014, Graf founded MOD86F Kepler, an art space without walls. She has organized numerous international exhibitions and performs with her band uh, Solar Lies. So thank you, Jean, for being with me here today. So today's conversation you, is regarding the um, general theme of the podcast, Projects Are Prophecies, Prophecies Are Projects, which explores how the future can be invented, anticipated, imagined, etc., with a special reflection on art and its capacity to create the future. Um, something that really inspired me to talk to Jeanne uh, was reading that she, quote-unquote, wrote a book by accident. The book in question has a name that is quite challenging to pronounce, and its spelling changes as far as I understood. Um, and uh, Jeanne is going to read the first chapter from the book to us. Patrick comes to Le Bar for the first time in 1979, 27 Rue de Condé. He takes the place over in 1991. Since then, he has said that he was taking, taken as hostage by the place. Felix Guattari lives a bit further down the street, number nine. I come there for the first time in 2010. I asked Patrick if I can charge my phone behind the counter. Then I drew his portrait with open shirt as always and his silver chain, as well as those of the other customers. We really get along which is, which, with each other right away. The portrait is still hanging in the frame of the mirror, which is at the right side at the entrance of the bar. Because I forget my phone when I leave, I have to come back the day after. Since then, I come back here often when I'm in Paris if I want to be quiet, to know no one. One evening, the customers at the table next to us, hardly 18 years old, order Patrick's famous cocktail, The Crazy Hand. A mix of liquor flambé shaken with a hand that covers the top of the cognac glass. They first breathe the alcohol vapor, then buttons up. The alcohol goes straight to the brain and they fly. 
you have to watch them a bit and not serve them too quickly. Otherwise, you load them too fast. It can be a bit annoying the hand. You don't always remain intact. It's no longer the crazy hand that we were doing in the 90s. We invented it because we thought it was funny, but it was too dangerous. Now it's a bit more of a developed product. I sometimes call Patrick at the bar around midnight from Lausanne to know how he is. He has no mobile phone. Tuesday is usually good because there are not so many clients. One or two tables maximum. And he closes early, around 2 or 3 a.m. Sunday and Monday, you can't reach him. He's in the Val d'Oise checking his account. I can hardly imagine him out of Le Bar. Le Bar is invisible from the street. No sign. Just an inscription on the doorstep where you can read this you. Patrick opens the door with a button situated under the counter. He accepts everyone. Well, it depends if it's the right moment or not. The walls are covered with black velvet curtains. The front window on the street side too. The architecture is in L shape. At the bottom, a tunnel without light. You have to bend down to stand. You don't know when it stops. It looks like it would go on forever. The used sofas made with sky have been here for decades. The Asian decoration was here before Patrick. If you want to change the decoration, you need to have a better idea. What has changed, according to him, is not the inside of Le Bar, but the outside, the street and the weather. Well, actually, yes, there is no smoking inside anymore. You have to smoke outside and not to make noise, not to talk, to be quiet. Several times, because of the neighbor's complaint, Patrick already got three warnings. As the taxi driver says, Patrick is a good guy and Patrick's clients are good guys. You can trust them. Going out of the car, Anne wants to pay and ask for a fracture. She asks for a fracture instead of a facture, a receipt. It's not a slip since she doesn't know the meaning of the word fracture. She's lived in Paris for a year and has just started learning French. For a year, she's also practiced French boxing, Savat, in a club between Place de la République and Gare de l'Est. Ibrahim teaches there. He's a world champion of French boxing and both Vietnam. He travels from Sarcelles several times a week. Anne from the city center at the artist residency where she lives. Anne brings me to the boxing lesson during the summer. We've worked together for several months. Then I bring Anne. I write every day to Anina, who is spending a few months in the United States. Every day, meeting at the Terrace des Archives, Catherine office, with the group, whose constellation varies depending on the ability of each of us. The first class. I get changed in the dressing room and enter the boxing room, where I see Anne. People stare at me with funny faces. Someone burst 
out of ladder because apparently, due to my unfamiliarity with the clothes, I mistook the boxer bra for the final uniform when, in fact, you have to add a t-shirt on top of it. I go back into the dressing room and come back with a t-shirt on. First lesson by Ibrahim. You shouldn't be afraid of getting hit. And then you have to hit. The boxing has a strange effect on me. It makes me cry. So in the, in the dressing room, after the lesson, teardrops appear. Anne joined me and confessed that boxing has had the same effect on her. Second lesson, still with Ibrahim. Demonstrations against the bombing in Gaza are happening in La Place de la République. The atmosphere is tight. The first demonstration had been forbidden. Hundreds of CRS are surrounding the place in battle gear. It's been like this for several days. Ibrahim tells me that television team tried to interview the children that he's taking care of in Sarcel because they think there are tension in that neighborhood. He told them to go away. Then he teaches us how to bind our hands. The fingers must be well separated when you bind the phalange. Then how to wear the gloves. The strong foot and fight must be horizontal. You defend yourself with your weak side to fight better with your stronger side. The body has to get used to doing things in reverse. reverse. It's not easy. Apparently, I have a crazy leg, as Ibrahim calls it. My leg always wants to step forward instead of staying backwards. Nevertheless, the body learns quickly, and after two hours of training, the crazy leg remains where it should be. Tears rise. I fight with Anne. She moves slower and measures her strength. I move myself a bit in any direction, as if I were mining the fight, most probably because of the timidity provoked by this new situation. You don't know how to behave, where to stand in the room, who is looking in the and how, how to use the material. I continue mining. Anne is really fighting. It will come for me at the third lesson with Anne how to learn to really move with your feet and your feet, to protect your face and to dodge. A kick in the pants, the seat. I accidentally give one to Ibrahim. And the feet. You need at least one lateral kick during a round, which lasts one minute and 30 seconds. Then one minute of rest. Three rounds for a match. Kicks in the tibia are forbidden. The attack ensues with hits to the face, frontal and laterals above the belt, avoiding the breast for women. We go drink a coffee after the lessons. Ibrahim, who trains us, does not drink because he's observing Ramadan. His lost weight around five kilos. The normal regime starts again tomorrow. He's not sure. It depends on the moon position. The following lesson with Anne. We, we use punching bags and jump, jump ropes. We also train by kicking against piles and recovered mattresses. 
first battle in the ring with strangers. We learned how to control our strength and our gestures. We are sweating. We start to realize our own strength and that of our opponent. The room is generally silent. You hear the kick of some and sometimes music. A battle battle with Anne. I'm afraid I'm afraid of hurting her. I often stop my kicks halfway. Battle one on one. The referee controls the rules. The ring is delimited by ropes. I continue to follow Ibrahim's teaching. After several weeks, I start to get myself used to it and my body changes. The muscles are more visible. The boxing is hand-to-hand -hand fighting. Violence is physical and direct. You are not used to it. You are alone with yourself and your opponent who reflects your image. Strength and weakness must be managed immediately. The emotions also must be confronted, confronted directly. You win a match in your head. You have to convince your partner that you are stronger. Cunning in relation to your opponent, dissuasion strategies, not showing anything, even if you suffer or you hurt, pretending not to be hurt, so he will doubt. You have to either dissuade the opponent or intensify, not being transparent, not letting them see through you. For Ibrahim, violence is easier to manage on a ring than on the street. It is where you have to free your violence. If you want to fight the other, to the camp. Ibrahim started boxing when he was 13. You can continue all your life, but you have to be careful with kicks in the head. One of his friends doesn't have key IDs anymore. He had taken too many kicks. Some people come to boxing only to get hit. The discipline rapidly changes into a habit. The body gets used to it very easily. And soon, if you don't train, things get worse. Actually, Anna went to buy a kicking bag this afternoon. She doesn't want to stop training and is worried about not being able to bear the summer, summer break. Ibrahim knows how to read bodies. He sees everything. He also knows how to keep what he sees for himself. That's why I trust him. The direct physical relation of boxing is managed by a control of distance and by a balance of force. It is about control that one imposes on oneself and the other in the instant exchange with the opponent. Ibrahim sits in front of me at the table in a coffee place He's a bit curled up, which is also the defensive position. But he constantly looks at the floor because he's not at ease. We speak the same language, but we don't always understand each other. I see myself in his eyes, he probably in mine, which does nothing to put either of us at ease. Our habits are like a third person who is seated with us at the table. We are both attentive, not to register it too much in order not to put the other in the awkward position. He has won his glasses. That evening, I go back to the Republic, Place de la Republic, and watch two movies. La Maîtresse, 1976, by, with Bulogier.
I love him because he's the only man I don't distrust. The actress climbs up the stairs and the dungeon of the dungeon with difficulty. She's suffocating. She can't breathe anymore. She thinks it is her dominatrix corset that is too tight, but it is an anxiety crisis. Holy Motors, 2012, minute 63.55 seconds. I'm afraid of the cameras. They used to be heavier than us. Today, they have become smaller than our heads. When I trip on a pile in the street, I feel ashamed before it hurts. I wonder if the people there have seen me. Every day for the last 10 years, Romain walks from Rue Vaugirard to the Boulevard Saint-Germain to go to the tabac. He knows the way so well that he can go out without his cane. He drinks a coffee a bit further on the boulevard, then to Rue de Condé to buy bread, passing by Rue de l'École Polytechnique. He asks me what I look like. I start to laugh. He starts to laugh too. It's a bit embarrassing. I think a few minutes. I don't know where to start. Long hair, brown eyes, spotted with beauty spots, a bump on the nose, very white skin, an asymmetrical mouth, strange teeth, not very tall, thin and muscles. He never thinks about how people look. He asks me if I find myself pretty. I, I answer that I wouldn't change a thing. One morning, he decides to go all the way to the end of the street after the taba and realizes that the taba is in fact next to the bakery, just 50 meters away. He never thought about it. It is at this moment where, when he links the two streets to each other, that he decides not to choose between his job as a writer and as a pianist. He will do both. He hesitated for a long time during his studies at Sciences Po. He needed something that could make him travel while staying at the same place. I asked him if, when he travels, he reads the landscape with the accents. He speaks bad English, and this complicates everything a bit. He has a problem making himself understood. He thinks I'm 31 years old. 31 for my self-assurance, not more because of my enthusiasm and my hopefulness. He managed to guess gender thanks to the voice excluding children before the age five. In the subway in London, I look at the person in fake golden frames on wild tiles. Tell us what you think. The same in Paris two hours later, an advertisement by SNCF. Switzerland is next door. Paris, Lausanne, 25 euros. I get on the train and it stops between two stations. I feel once more that the claustrophobia crisis is arising. I adopt one of my most efficient strategies, the ignorance system, to ignore its own environment in order to take the anxiety level down so that the crisis doesn't blow up. I look at photos on my mobile phone to forget where I am. 
that was really great, especially I really like that the, the, the baby wanted to take part of the conversation. Um, I think it kind of adds a nice touch to the reading, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's just a bit, uh, he's a bit uh, agitated, so I just need uh, like a two-minute break. Yes, yes, sure. I mean, we can stay on phone, but uh, just better. Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. Okay. So I'm going to read the, the brief description from the back of the book. Um, oh, actually, you know, what, uh, before all of that, how do you... So I, I do know that the pronunciation of the book is kind of more important than uh, the spelling of the, the, the name of the book. But how would you pronounce it? Like, what do you hear when you see these letters? Uh, something like a V. Okay, that's, that's what I thought. Um, so I'm going to read it now. Composed between destinations in airplanes, trains, museums, and bars over three years, Jean Graff's captures the slight intersections of a loose group of artists, lawyers, restaurateurs, philosophers, winemakers, and boxers whose lives are conducted almost entirely in a second language. A loose chronicle masquerading as a novel, like Michelle Bernstein's All the King's Horses, the Bernadette Com Corporation's Rena Spallings and Natasha Stagg's surveys, couches graphs sharp observations in a laconic and ambient style. By not saying too much, Vish says everything about their relation to time, cities, weather, and smog that has become the lingua franca of a creative and transient life. So I, I think this is a particularly interesting book in the age that we're living in at the moment, actually. Um, given that many of these things, such as changing destinations, traveling, going to bars casually, are now kind of impossible for many of us, uh, or at least limited. I thought it was quite nice to open this conversation with, with um, a reflection on the content of the book and the way that it was written. And one thing that I noticed that was also quite important as an observation is that lives of the people you're mentioning are um, as it's said here, conducted almost entirely in a second language, which to me is a very cosmopolitan characteristic, and it's something that's being brought into question at the moment, I would say. So I'd like to start with a sentence that I read in an interview you gave to Juliana Huxtable for Moose Magazine. Um, for those of uh, our listeners who don't know, Juliana is an American artist, writer, performer, DJ, and co-founder of the New York-based nightlife project Shock Value, and as far as I know, is currently based in Berlin. She was actually mentioned in the book, and not only that, there is an entire chapter that is dedicated to her. So she asked you, have you written uh, before, and what was your relation to writing? And then you said, I've been trying, but was never happy about it. And obviously your answer goes further than this, but I wanted to focus on that sentence. So I'm wondering, uh, how or when do you know you're happy about what you've written? Um, well, I guess it's when it feels right towards mm -hmm. a moment or a situation, uh, like uh, in a simple, fun, poetic and moving way. For example, uh, today it was nice to read again the first chapter of the book that I wrote uh, six years ago. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I still like it, so it's a good feeling, I guess. Yes, 
And so, so what would you say writing has meant to you as a process, like over these years, considering how it's of, how it's often mentioned that you you wrote your book accidentally? Is it like a sort of remembering or a healing or simply like having a diary? Uh, no, actually, it's uh, uh, because I'm also working as a curator, and uh, the first chapter I wrote. Uh, while we were organizing a show in uh, in Paris with uh, Anne Imhoff and Andresen, uh, we spent the summer together. And uh, instead of writing a press release, mm -hmm. I I thought uh, it's more interesting to write about what we are doing. And uh, that was the boxing. And mm -hmm. then, um, so that's how it started. Yes, studies uh, uh, as a kind of small booklet that I published uh, that was uh, uh, accompanying the the exhibition in Le Bar in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, so, so can you tell us a bit more about the book's title? The Vigie, it's actually um, so I had an art space uh, in Lausanne. Mm -hmm. for about uh, six years, maybe more. And then I had one in Geneva and uh, uh, I wasn't really happy about uh, uh, its form, like doing an exhibition that, least, that lasts a certain amount of time and then you change it. And uh, I was mm -hmm. more interested in, the, in researching in doing a, an art space which shape would uh, and structure would match the the world we live in or the the kind of life we had mm -hmm. or now I speak in the past which <laughs> was uh, traveling uh, and uh, and I guess also the writing this this story it was also a way to link those spaces together like the le bar in paris and then, uh, and then uh, the second uh, show we did, it was uh, it was the restaurant Colvige in Basel during the art fair. Mm -hmm. So uh, actually, the the show was a restaurant, or it was taking place at a restaurant. It was a uh, we built a restaurant, mm -hmm. that, like from out from nothing, and uh, so it was a restaurant. At, uh, uh, that uh, we did for about six days during the art fair, and we had performance, and uh, and uh, around a hundred people were eating here every night, and uh, concert. Mm -hmm. And the name of the restaurant, uh, it was uh, it comes from uh, like something like because it's the idea of to not define it too much and leave it open to interpretation and it's also a joke about uh, my struggle with pronunciation and accent yeah yeah and actually yeah. <laughs> the the red line that's appearing on the cover is that like the the logo of the restaurant or yeah exactly then uh, I, I then I asked uh, Maitou Perret mm -hmm. if she could do, do the logo mm -hmm. and she designed uh, an, uh, a big neon and then the, when we traveled to China and the other uh, exhibition, then 
we did a, a small edition of the neon that we, we were taking with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it became like the logo. And the cover of the book is actually a flyer that we did with uh, Juliana. Uh, yeah, so things uh, just started that way mm-hmm. you know, without thinking too much about it. And then, but in a way also, uh, it's kind of a very precise method. Um, do do you ever think about this connection between uh, food and and text or food and art? Since this was a like a pop up restaurant at an art fair, um, so I was just wondering if that's something you're you're dealing with as well in your curating and writing, except for this project. Yeah, I mean, uh, not really. Uh, I guess it's just that. Uh, I mean, food is a very important part of our life, but uh, it's not particularly about food Mm -hmm. so it's more about the um, people getting together and eating and um, is that the the idea well the restaurant it it came uh, because we were like what do we need during Art Basel Mm -hmm. and and, uh, actually a restaurant felt like something useful that's true um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know Yes, exactly. And uh, that's something that you really yeah. need at an art fair. I think people are in desperate need of food and drinks all the time, especially the ones who are working. But I guess there. it was also like build, building, uh, yeah. But also, it felt like a, I guess uh, it was the idea of uh, building a place where you that you where you can set up your own rules, where where you feel good where we can just hang out. The book started off as a collection of uh, letters that are dedicated to your friends. And when you told me this, I thought it was really beautiful. Um, however, when, when they're read by someone else, um, it's, it feels like a new author is uh, born. So I was wondering how, how you felt about that. Um, well, it's not really letters. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I mean, every chapter is built a bit differently also. So basically what happened is that uh, I wrote this first chapter with the boxing in Paris and uh, during the summer with uh, Andresen and Anne Imhoff, uh, they brought me to the to reading of Silver. Uh, that was about the uh, schizo uh, culture the reedition and uh, that's how i met silver and uh, and uh, he read the first chapter and he was like oh it's good you should you should do more write more and then i just continue writing mm-hmm. like yeah uh, and uh, so so that's how so... you got to know about samia text actually right yeah. yeah i i think i read that somewhere um yeah i i, yeah. I think it's um I mean, of course, in that semiological sense, it makes, uh, I, I feel like that's why it is so interesting, because you're actually demystifying the art world in a way, because many of the people in the book or in the, the chapters are actually people that are, let's say, from the global art world. Yeah, I mean, it was not really about that when, uh, I, I mean, the thing is, uh, I just wrote about the 
people that are that were around. And for example, when I wrote about Juliana, she was not part of the artwork. Mm -hmm, for example, mm -hmm. but uh, because it was uh, when I when I wrote about her, it was in two thousand. Uh, 14, like when I most of the book was written in 2014 mm -hmm. you know when you meet someone like Juliana it just I mean it was in 2013 and I, I was just thinking oh wow this this woman is so interesting and uh, and uh, and then she told me her story and then I just wrote it down and and give it to her as a as a gift you know without really thinking uh Without really thinking further, but it is, I guess, interesting to read for a lot of people. Yeah, her story. Did she reciprocate? Did she write a story about you? Yeah, she wrote something about me in the. She wrote a text about me that was that that was really a beautiful gift back. The text is in the Moose article. The introduction. It's a really beautiful text. It's about mm -hmm. how we met. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel mm -hmm. like it's it's an interesting thing to observe. Uh, just as you know, for example, how when someone who knows who is like in part of this world in a sense, um, then they can sort of associate the people and you know like put put faces on on the people who appear um, in the book. But I, I'm just thinking, you know, like in, in the sense of meaning, how it's interesting if someone is just reading it and doesn't have a clue about who those people are. I, I feel like it could be a different feeling. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess uh, everyone uh, also, what I noticed is that uh, everyone read it differently. And I really liked the, the boxing part, um, even like in how it was uh, connected to the rest of the chapter as well and how it just sort of flows um, so and the boxing part kind of reminded me of something I heard in The Sopranos when one of the guest characters who is a physicist describes uh, boxing and he's talking about boxing as two bodies that are actually not in conflict but they're just one single entity moving back and forward um, and that, that was super interesting to me because when you wrote about it and about how uh, your body needs to learn how to behave unnaturally it, I think that's something you wrote um, it it reminded me of it. The thing is, I did. It's uh, Anne Imhoff, who is very into boxing, uh, brought me and uh, Andresen to her boxing classes, and uh, I was working with Anne on a show um, at Francesca Pia, and like we were like working together, and then I also thought. Well, uh, because boxing is an important part of her life, if I want to understand her work, it's, I, uh, it's important that I also understand the boxing. And, uh, and uh, so we all went there and, uh, and uh, it was uh, really, uh, yeah, I do it sometimes. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't say I'm a boxer. Mm -hmm. like, but uh, it, is, it is a very mm -hmm. uh, important experience because of the way in which the book is written and uh, all of the bits of experiences and details and the way that time is presented like like something almost unimportant um, I feel like the book is sort of like a relic of the fast 
and turbulent world that we've known until 2020. And just like you said before, you said I'm speaking in the past. Um, so I, I had to think of a freedom that I, for example, no longer really feel. Do you ever look at it this way from today's perspective, as if the book is dedicated to, to a time that stopped? Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm happy that the, I mean, uh, I think things always are always moving and changing. And, and uh, I'm happy that the book speaks about a specific, speaks about the time when it was written. And, uh, and uh, that's also, yeah. I mean, no, I, I feel like it's definitely it's kind of right. um, very interesting I that I was, I, that I kind of came across it now, because as I said, it really reminded me of something that has like, that is currently in the past, but hopefully it's going to um, be happening again. No, but also when, you know, when you write a book, um, it's, uh, I mean, you, you write it and then you just let it go in a way and uh, having his own life and, uh, and uh, so because you just read the book a week ago or a few months ago and uh, I wrote it six years ago. Actually, when I was thinking of, a, of a an art space without walls or of a, like open architecture for an art space, uh, just one day I just read this article that uh, was mentioning that the NASA found this planet. The NASA has a mission called Kepler that is uh, looking for a new form of life in the galaxy. And, uh, and every planet they found, they have a number. And this one is the number uh, 186F. And it's potentially a planet where we could live. And I just like the idea of something that was where you can just imagine everything or that is just new or, and then so I just use it I, I use that name as a kind of a imaginary address mm -hmm. I reverse the numbers and the the name of planet. So how, how would you describe the concept of that gallery does it still operate uh, yeah I mean uh, the last uh, mm -hmm. the last event we did uh, in March I mean, uh, I had a baby, so, and then uh, the lockdown, and then, uh, yeah, but uh, of course, we'll continue. But uh, also the good thing is uh, there is no structure, as you say, maybe in time. I mean, it's not that we need to do something every month or every, it's always a bit different. This idea of nonlinear time is interesting because it can be taken in, in such simple terms. Like, for example, you don't need to, uh, have a schedule and have a structure and you can just do things as they come but also it can refer to you know space and cosmos and things like that so I thought that it was a really good parallel with the planet. You mentioned that someone is doing the illustration for your short story. Oh yeah that's uh, Gaia Vincenzini. Mm -hmm. She's uh, an artist uh, from Geneva and uh, we've been working together also with Kepler the last two years. She's doing the posters. Uh -huh, the she, she's yeah. the one who did all the posters that are on the website. Not all of them, but the last two years, it's her. Some of them is Juliana, some of them is... Uh, it, and so on. It's always a... 
a bit mm-hmm. different, but uh, the last, maybe the last two years, that's uh, it's uh, Gaia. She's very good at uh, illustration, and we're having a lot of fun uh, working together. How how do you work together? Does she make the illustration after reading the story, or? Uh, no, it's more like a, because for Kepler we have an event, and uh, there is, a, for example, um, it's gonna be a concert with uh, Stefan Cherebnin and uh, Sadaf, Nava, and so on, and then um, and then uh, we're like, oh, uh, there is this ring by Andresen. Uh, and, uh, and and send a photo and then Gaia make a drawing out of the photo and then uh, and then someone else add something and so on and so on and then uh, that's how we make the poster mm-hmm. so it's like a collective illustration in a sense. it's like it's just like uh, we speak together and then uh, she she's making the drawings or oh, there is one poster that was a uh, with the with a drawing by uh, um, uh, Vice, the Total Freedom Poster, mm-hmm. and then uh, a drawing that I made, and then a drawing that Gaia made. It's all the, those drawings together. Uh, can I find that poster on the Kepler? Uh, yeah, if you go on Kepler. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's the Total Freedom, and Total Freedom is the name of the artist of mm-hmm. Ashland, and then it became kind of a slogan. Uh-huh. It's, a, I mean, it's a beautiful uh, slogan, right? <laughs> Total Freedom, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Uh, I'm just trying to find it, but you I, know, from I... a, the the green drawing, Fischler and Weiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, David Weiss, he made drawings. And uh, that's a photo of one of the drawings and a drawing that I made, the woman. And then uh, Gaia, she made the handwriting and she did like, she put everything together. But you know, it's like, I mean, that's poster, for example, we made like two years ago and it's not like predicting the future, but I, I guess already two years ago, everybody was feeling that, uh, the like, uh, Writing total freedom on a poster is something useful at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah especially with this, this sort of ecological context yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And you know, like that's that's a good example. But also how how I write or how I work is like, you know, it's like also this this poster what was kind of done by accident, but not really by accident. It's just like. A, we're just being open to what's around and then you compose the poster and then you see the result and you're like, oh, actually it makes sense. But it's just the, you know, yeah. it was not planning in advance. Oh, we're going to use this and, and that. And, and that. It, it's more like, so we're having a lot of fun doing things all together. And then you just have something, you have an image and you're like, oh, cool. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs>